As we said last week, we started looking at the Great Commission. The reason we did that was because it was the first reading on our frontline course, the course where we look at living our lives for God on our front lines, wherever that might be, uh, where we spend most of our time during uh, the week, which for almost all of us, probably everyone, is not in church. So that's why we're looking at it, so we can see how we can be Christians where we are and where we find ourselves. And our next reading comes from the book of Jeremiah. So we're moving around the Bible a little bit, and the reading is from Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to read the context, which is verse 1, and then I'll be reading from verses 4 to 14. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Some of you will know that, well, many of you will know, well, hopefully all of you will know that at the beginning of June I'm going on sabbatical for three months. So, although I will be around, I won't be here at church for that time. And I'm hoping to begin my sabbatical by going to Rome for a few days, which is very exciting because, well, for me, maybe, well, maybe for you, I don't know, um, because I've never been to Rome. And I've always wanted to go to Rome. I've always wanted to see um, the history, the Christian history, and also the history that surrounds and is in that city. And so I'm very excited, and I've been thinking about this for quite a long time. And um, I said to Simon, oh, we could go to Rome together. 
you know, you and I would get the grandparents up to look after the boys. And he went, mm, okay. And I was like, oh, okay. I said, well, I could go with someone else. Sorry, no, don't mind. So I started looking up and I found a place and flights. And, and then someone said, oh, no, actually, I would really like to go. Sorry, you just threw me a little bit. And I'm like, great, brilliant. So then Simon got on the case. And then we looked at more flights and more hotels. And then we looked at reviews of hotels. We're like, oh, no, well, that's not got a great... So then we looked at more hotels and thought, I like that one. And then we found that the flights didn't coincide with that. So then we, we gave it a bit of a break because it does your head in. And then we started again. And we looked at the cheapest flights. Oh, but no, but they go from Gatwick and then you come back into Heathrow. Well, that's a pain. So then we looked at other flights. Well, the upshot is we haven't booked it yet. It's getting quite close, isn't it? Um, I've also talked to quite a few people. I've had quite a few guidebooks and, and recommendations. And, but, you know, we want to find that place that will be really nice, that will be easiest to get to, um, because we've not been before and it's a special trip and... We're just taking so long to do it that probably there'll be nothing available. But, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? When you're trying to book something special or go somewhere really nice or do something for the first time, you want it to be right. I don't know whether that's just me, but I think most of us want the ideal thing or at least something that fits into our tick boxes. We don't just go for any old place and any old flight from anywhere that will cause the most problem. We want things to be as near perfect as they can be. And it's the same with most things that we want to do or that we want to get. If we're buying a car, for instance, I don't know people who will stop at the first car with a sign in the passenger window and go on buying that. We don't do that, do we? We look around. These days, we scour the internet for the best bargain. We go and test drive. We look at the history, we do a bit of research because we want the thing that's right for us before we finally purchase this car, which will probably be with most of us for quite a few years. And if we're looking to buy a house, we don't just buy the first thing that we see unless we have to because we've got to move. We want the best place. We want the right layout with the right number of rooms in the right place for us. We want a good price. We want to buy somewhere that is right for our situation and for what we want. And so we look at all the options before we agree to put in an offer on that place that will become our home. Because if we're going to buy something of value or go somewhere that we want to go or live somewhere for a prolonged period of time, we want to tick certain boxes before we actually go for it. Given the choice... We would never settle down somewhere where we were really unhappy. We would never put up with a bad situation and make our home in that place. We would never stay in a place where we felt unsettled or unsure. And we would never advise anyone to do that either. We never go up and say, oh yeah, you really should buy that dump over there, it's terrible, but you know, you should do it. We wouldn't do that. And yet, here in the book of Jeremiah, in the Old Testament of the Bible, this is exactly the advice given to the people of God to settle in a place that they don't like. It's exactly the advice given to them when they find themselves in Babylon, far from where they would call home and far from where they really wanted to be. The context, of course, as we said, is that this advice was given in a letter written from the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Judah. 
The people of Judah, of course, used to be the people of Israel. It's quite complicated history. But by the time Jeremiah came on the scene, they were the people of Judah because they resided in the southern kingdom of Israel, also known as the kingdom of Judah. There's a map which um, I've got, which hopefully John will be able to put up, which might help. Um, The history, if you can see it, oh yes, the history was that years before, following the end of King Solomon's reign, Israel, which had been one kingdom, just the kingdom of Israel, had been split into two, two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Israel became the northern kingdom, the slightly larger kingdom which took in some of the northern territories and areas. And Judah became the southern kingdom, the one that Jeremiah prophesied to, slightly smaller. However, Judah was the kingdom that contained the city of Jerusalem, the centre of the Jewish faith. And so you might have thought that out of both of these kingdoms, if there was going to be one that was more devout and more committed, it would be Judah, having the temple, the advantage of being able to go there, travel there, and be where they believed that God would be. But as with most of the history of Israel and Judah, Judah struggled to be devout. In fact, they spent years struggling to follow God. They spent years turning to other gods. They spent years ignoring the warnings of the prophets. Until we get to the beginning of the book of Jeremiah, the prophet that was coming to the people of Judah. And we find that the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, has already been destroyed. Its people have been taken into captivity by the Assyrians and its land has been robbed. It is no longer Israel. And the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, is in danger of heading the same way. So from the very start of the book of Jeremiah, there are calls for the people of Judah to turn back to God. Jeremiah warns them again and again and again that disaster is coming. Invading armies are closing in. Foreign nations are surrounding them, ready to strip their land. He urges them to turn back to God warning them as prophets before have warned them that if they don't listen to God and change their ways, disaster will come upon them, just as it did to Israel. And more importantly, Jerusalem will be destroyed, the place that is the centre of all that they do. Of course, the people of Judah feign repentance. They promise change again and again but they don't mean it. And eventually, they are overrun by the invading armies of the great Nebuchadnezzar. Their land, like the land of Israel before them, is destroyed. The temple is left in ruins, and the people of Judah themselves are taken into captivity in Babylon. They are exiles, which is where we find them in the passage that we read Today, They're living a life in a land where God is no longer worshipped, has never been worshipped. They're living in a place with no temple, no place to gather and go. They're living among a people they don't know and, even worse, they don't like. We find them lost and desolate and longing for home. They have been told by so-called prophets that their exile will not be for long. Don't worry. You'll soon go back to your land. And so they're holding on. They're clinging on to that hope. 
They're just waiting for this whole nightmare to be over. And then this letter arrives. A letter addressed to the people of Judah from the prophet Jeremiah. And it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Then this letter arrives to these desperate people people who want to leave this God-forsaken land they've ended up in. And it says, stop. Stop hoping for a different life. Stop simply putting up with how things are. Stop waiting to be rescued and taken home. But instead, settle down. Make a home. Build a family. Live your life. You're going to be in Babylon for quite a while, says Jeremiah. 70 years, which could be translated a very long time. So don't just survive and hope that things will get better soon. Don't just wait for a temple and a homeland and your own secure borders before you start to worship God. Instead, make your home with God now, here. In Babylon. And not only that, but pray for this land that you hate so much. Pray for these people that you despise so that they will become prosperous. Because this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Or if you like, when Jeremiah hears that the people of Judah can't wait to leave Babylon. They've put their life on hold. He tells them that they're not called to do that. They're called instead to live life now, wherever they might be, and to work for the place that they are in to become a much better place. I don't know what kind of family... Um, you grew up in, but I grew up in a family where life was a bit of a balancing act. So we were all okay and everything was happy and fine if life was good. You know, so we functioned well and we could joke and laugh and everything was okay. But as soon as we had a crisis or even an unusual event or a big thing that was happening, then everyone would become a little bit on edge. And we'd all focus on this thing that was coming up. And instead of living life like we normally live life, we'd all get a bit tense and we'd be working towards this thing being perfect or working towards getting through this stressful time. And we wouldn't do some of the things we'd normally do and we'd be a bit snappy with each other and, you know, things would be a bit on edge. And then once this event or this crisis or this thing had passed, everything was okay again. It's all right, life is okay. We can relax. We can live. We can do the normal things that we do. Which, you know, was fine. 
I guess, and, and a lot of people probably live like that. Life is okay as long as circumstances are all right. But then I became a Christian, and I left home, not because I became a Christian, but that happened afterwards. And I realised that actually there was another way to live. That in following God, I didn't have to be driven by the circumstances around me. I didn't have to live life depending on what was happening at that time. But instead, I could live life at a steady pace, whatever was going on, however life was. Because I could live life with God in the good times and the bad times. And I could still live and do things and have fun, even when life was really difficult. Not that I always managed or managed to do that, don't get me wrong, but I realised that this could happen. And I also understood that God doesn't always arrange everything to be all right. And he doesn't always want us to get out of a difficult situation straight away, right there and then. But instead, sometimes he asks us to live with him in the circumstances that we are in, even if they are really difficult circumstances. And in this letter to the people of Judah, this is exactly what he says to them. Because for them, life was awful. They didn't want to be in Babylon. It wasn't a good place for them. It wasn't the right place for them. It wasn't helpful for them. It wasn't how they envisioned following God and walking in his ways. And yet they were there. That's what had happened to them. That's where they were. And God was asking them to settle down. Instead of taking everything away that was bad and making it all all right, he was asking them to stay. He was asking them to seek him, to find him, to listen to him in the place that they were in at that time. And yes, one day, he promised that everything would be as it should be. One day, the temple would be restored and the people of Judah would go back to Jerusalem. One day, everything would be made right. But for now, this was their life. This was their place. This was their front line, if you like. And they were to put their all into living for God where they were. A lot of people here will remember Pat and Merv Lancaster, who used to come to this church. Unfortunately, both of them have died now. And when I came to the church, actually, I... I never, Pat and Merv were here, and I never knew them as people who were physically well. They were ill from the moment I arrived. Pat had cancer, and Merv was living with a blood disorder, and so they had to go to the hospital regularly, spend days up there receiving treatment. I don't think there was a week that went by that they weren't at the hospital. And I used to go and visit them, and they were surprisingly cheerful people for the fact that they spent most of their life up at the hospital. And I said to Pat once, I said... Oh, it must be really hard, you know, living your life, trooping up to the hospital, having treatment that makes you feel ill, having weeks when you're feeling terrible, having days when you're in bed and you can't get out of bed. It must be really difficult. And she said, well, Kate, yes, of course, I'd like things to be different. But this is our life. 
This is how we live. And you know what? We go up to the hospital and we look around at people and we see who we can sit next to to chat to. We see who's looking down. Who can we encourage? And we get into conversations and we talk about God and we tell them why we can live through this because we know God and he loves us. And you know, sometimes... It is right, it's most definitely right to leave a situation which is difficult and which we hate. One that is hard and that is not good for us. And if that's the case, we should do that. We should leave it. But a lot of the time, the things we don't like, the things we find hard, the things we're just waiting to be over, the front lines on which we live our lives every day are the places where God has called us to live with him. They are our lives. That's just our life. Sometimes we cannot escape them, just like Pat and Merv could not escape theirs. There were circumstances beyond their control. But like Pat and Merv, we can seek to choose the way we live within these circumstances. We can choose to try and call on God in the situations we are in. We can choose to try to seek him and find him. And listen to him. We can choose to worship him. Even in the most terrible circumstances. We can choose to live with him. In the situations that we are in. And we can also choose to pray for those situations. So that we might bring goodness. We might bring God to those people who are around us at that time. One of my favourite programmes is Grey's Anatomy on telly. Which is quite good because it's gone on and on and on and on, so it sort of, sort of kept me uh, interested. And there was an episode just last week or the week before where one of the doctors is going through a bit of a faith crisis and a rabbi comes in, Rabbi Eli, as a patient. He's had a terribly unusual reaction to antibiotics and he's, he's dying. It's quite grim, actually. Anyway, I won't explain it. And she's having a conversation with him, and she's talking about how she's cross with God. She's angry, because God hasn't done things, and things bad have happened in her life, and God hasn't made it better. And he says to her, you'll excuse me, but I haven't got time to, like, pretend what you're saying is, you know, okay, and go through all that, because I'm dying. So I'm just going to tell you, you're being like a child. He said, why should you expect everything to be all right? Why should you expect life to just be good? Why should you expect God to fix everything all the time? And then he said this, faith wouldn't be real faith if we only believed when things are good. Faith wouldn't be real faith if we only believed when things are good. And you know, equally, when we think about the lives we live each day, the situations we face, the people we meet, the things that come upon us regularly, Our faith wouldn't be real faith if we only felt we could try and practice it when life was okay. Which is why God calls us to settle down with him wherever we find ourselves, whatever situation we're in. Let's pause for a moment before God. Maybe as we're quiet, we can think about how our lives are at the moment.
the situations we're in, the things that we face, and how we're facing them with God.